The heavens were opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son, the beloved, or you are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. Luke chapter 3, verse 22. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. The Father loves the Son. You are my beloved Son, the voice from heaven said. And we know it was the Father speaking because only a a Father could address someone as His Son. And uh, this is a really good passage to point to for, um, it's sort of a occasional trope you hear in the world these days of the Bible doesn't teach that there's a trinity. I'm like, have you read the Bible? <laughs> there's a passage like this, it's pretty plain, right? You've got the voice of the Father, the vision of the Spirit descending on the Son, the three persons of the one Godhead, which is our epiphany for this morning. This sequence of lessons from epiphany is these sort of sequence of revelations of who God really is. Who Jesus is, um, is sort of the revelation to the Magi. Uh, the the king of Israel, the son of God. Um, But then this next epiphany is who he is in relation to the other persons of the Godhead, right? That there's a father and a son and the spirit and the father loves the son. The voice that came from heaven, um, it wasn't for Jesus' sake. Just like when Jesus prays at the, I think it's at the grave of Lazarus, and he says, this wasn't for me, this was for them so they could hear. This voice was for the people that they could hear. It was an epiphany for all of the disciples of John who were anxiously awaiting the Messiah. Again, that's just like I preached about last Sunday, who were already there with a thirst and a hunger to know who God is. God reveals himself with a voice from heaven. This voice um, establishes publicly Jesus' relationship to the maker of the universe, that he is the one and only son. But it also is crucial that it proclaims that he is the beloved son. That the world would know the father loves the son. This actually is the core of the meaning. When the Bible says God is love, it doesn't first mean that God loves us. That is built in and that's true. But the first, the deepest meaning of the statement God is love is that the father loves the son. And the Son loves the Father back. And the Holy Spirit lives in that communion of love and mediates and reciprocates the love to both the Father and the Son. In fact, before um, anything was made, before there was us, before there was an earth, before there was a universe, the three persons of the Godhead in their perfect oneness, great mystery, loved each other and were perfectly content because it was infinite love for infinite objects of their love existing from before all time. It's actually something wonderful to think about it. There's something, the more you think about it, there's something blissful and peaceful about contemplating the love the persons of the triune God have for each other before all creation. It was actually out of the overflow of this perfect love that that needed nothing. It was fully satisfied. It was out of the sort of happy, voluntary overflow that God made the world in the first place and made each of us. And when, as we confess sort of in our Eucharistic prayer, when we had fallen into sin and become subject to evil and death, 
Well, then out of love, again, he loved us. Creation was an overflow of his love. And the rescue mission of his son, Jesus, was an overflow of that same love for these creatures that he made, stamped with his image. Love to bring them back into, bring, bring us back into fellowship with himself. So, um, as we have just very recently remembered, Jesus sent his son, who took on flesh from the Virgin Mary, was born at Christmas, revealed right away to the Magi and the shepherds, but then 30 years pass where he remains in practical obscurity. Um, a very early father of the church says that the things that he would make the most as a carpenter were plows and yokes, which is a very interesting thing to think about. But, so for 30 years, he's making these plows and these yokes and these other things that he would have made in obscurity, meaning that he's just going about his daily existence and the whole world doesn't know yet that God has come and has come to show his love and to ransom each of us. So there needed to be a moment, sort of a declaration, sort of when Clark Kent rips off his business suit to, business suit to show actually he's Superman. That's kind of what the baptism at the River Jordan is. It's, oh, that guy who makes plows? Actually, he's the son of God. It would have been a very exciting moment to be there for. Not just who he is, but also his mission is revealed in what the voice from heaven says. The Father says, with him, with you, I am well pleased. Which I think stands in stark contrast. Sorry. <coughs> um, hopefully I have a voice by the end of the sermon. Um, stands in stark contrast to the first Adam who displeased the Father by his rebellion. Right? Adam in the garden, disobeying God, displeased the Father. Now here is one, the second Adam, the new Adam, the newly created human being, who is pleasing to the Father. So I think even his rescue mission, ransoming, in his own self, taking his own humanity and, and offering it as a pleasing offering to God, the offering Adam failed to make and never could have made. Um, this is actually sort of the intersection of where this event, which happened almost 2,000 years ago, comes to play in our own lives. So I have a question. Um, as the church, what is the primary sort of description the Bible gives us in relationship to Jesus? What are we? Sheep? That's true. Okay, okay I guess there's more than one answer. <laughs> Sheep is one. The answer I had in mind was, in the New Testament, is his body. Right? Over and over again, we are called the body of Christ. And on this day, we remember the day when Jesus took his body and it was washed, purified in water and anointed with the Holy Spirit. Now, when we call, when the, when the Bible calls us the body of Christ, it's not just a metaphor. We've actually been grafted into the resurrected body of Christ. What Adam said to Eve is true of us. We are flesh of his flesh. Bone of his bone. In, in Romans chapter 6, verse 3, it says, when we're baptized, we are baptized into Christ Jesus. I mean, we are grafted in. We are as fully and closely connected. We are truly his body, and he is the head. I think we always think about it as just a poetic metaphor. It's not a metaphor. You, as temples of the Holy Spirit, are united to the resurrected body of Christ so closely that you are the body of Christ. That's why we're called the body. So I think part of this, I, I've 
struggled about the baptism of Jesus for years and years. The meaning of it is so complex and interesting. And one of the things I've thought about for thinking about it again this year is, you know how the prophets of old, God told them to kind of do these, these gestures that would symbolize what God was going to do. Right? So he has Ezekiel lay on his side for a year and eat this weird food. And Jeremiah has to eat a scroll. Right? There's these sort of theatrical acts which show forth what God's about to do. I think in an even more real way, that's something like what we have in the baptism of Jesus. He's taking his body, right? Catch the double meaning, his body, washing them in water and anointing them with the Holy Spirit. Right? That's what happened to his literal body. But because we're grafted into him, it's also a picture of what he does to us, right? He takes in our, when we are united to Christ, as it says in Romans 6, we're united to him in his death. We're washed with him. We are raised with him by the Spirit. As we, there's that sort of symbol of coming out of the water. Right? What happened to Jesus in his body is, a, is an epiphany, a showing forth of what Jesus would do with each of us who would come to be united in that same body. So the really wonderful truth of this is um, because we're united to Jesus, because we are his body, out of his mercy, right? We didn't earn that. We did nothing to gain it. It was simply his gift to us, first purchased with his blood on the cross, and then extended to us with the gospel proclaimed by faith, with the waters of baptism ministered by the church. All of us who've heard that word and been baptized, we didn't earn any of that. It was a free gift, as we studied in catechism this morning. Having received that free gift, Everything that's true about Jesus in relation to the Father becomes true for us. It was his by nature. He had it all along. But it becomes ours by grace. So he's a son by nature. We are adopted, I love as it said in that collect, we are adopted as sons and daughters by grace. Which means that, recall again that whatever came to your imagination, when you think about the Father, loving the Son for eternity with an infinite love before creation was made. That's the love the Father still has for the Son, and you're grafted into the Son. So that's the love that he has for each of us. Right? This is a huge love. Right? It's not some cold love of a calculating distant Father. It's the love the Father has for the Son. <laughs> that's the love that he loves us with. It's huge. We, our minds, our hearts, our souls, we're like these little cups. We can't even contain the tiniest portion of the thought of how much he loves us. Think how much the Father loves the Son. The God who made the universe in his love and mercy loves every one of us as much as he loves his own beloved Son, as he said with a voice from heaven at the baptism of John. Um, not only does he love us, but that's not the end of what Jesus, what the Father says about the Son, right? He says, this is my beloved Son, with whom I'm well pleased. And that's also true of us, right? He sent us the Holy Spirit. Each of you has the Holy Spirit living within you. And the new life of Christ that is being worked out in you, it pleases the Father greatly. 
when by the Holy Spirit's power, you choose to pray, choose to resist temptation, choose to love the people who have been set in your path. The Lord is really pumped about that. <laughs> that's, that's my translation of, in your ears as well, please. <laughs> but he's really well pleased with the life you're living in him. He's never pleased with our sins, of course not. But he's really pleased with us. And what I want to say is not only Christ's work within us, but um, I know parents have different views on this, but I've never liked the phrase, um, I love you, but I don't like you right now. I've never liked that. Because I think if you really saw someone, you just wouldn't say the don't like part. <laughs> and it actually was an epiphany for me when I realized, I think I always thought of God's love for us as like, like that. Well, I love you, but I don't like you right now. Because trying to hold together all this complex teaching of sin and repentance, like, I wrongly came to think in my teenage years that God didn't like me. And it was this epiphany to realize God loves me and he likes me <laughs> and he likes you. He actually made you who you are with your specific personality and he actually likes what he's made, right? God doesn't just delight in flowers and birds and sunsets that he made on day four, five, and six. Um, Four or five. He, he delights on what he made on day six. He delights in you. He actually likes the personality of Zeb. He made you that way, right? He likes each of us. And this, I think, is sometimes missed in the message of God's love. We actually overshoot and we forget even something as simple as like, as affection, God has for us. His love is more than affection, but it's not less than affection. I hope that this is an, also an, an epiphany for you, as it has been in my own life. So um, at the start of the new year, as so many of us kind of recalibrate, if you're like me, recalibrate like your family budget and start looking ahead of tax season and habits and rhythms and resolutions and diet, and all this sort of stuff. Um, I hope that you can install at the cornerstone of your sort of thinking about 2019. How am I, or am I not, responding to God's love? That the invitation to follow Jesus more earnestly, the invitation to obey him more fully, to study his truth more vigorously, to pray more fervently, these are actually invitations to respond to his great love. And that when we miss out on them, it's us who's missing out. Right? God didn't need anything before the foundation of the world. His love was complete. It's us who misses out when we sort of are distracted by the things of this world and actually fail and, 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 and pass by this epiphany that God truly loves us. I would instead encourage you not to pass it by, but to double down on drinking deeply from this love. Um, something I've experienced from sort of the business of life is when I try and go on a, on a date with my wife, which can, can't happen as often as I'd like for baby, kids get sick and all this stuff happens, but um, in the busyness, when you, sit, when you sit down, it actually takes a while to sort of lock in and sort of connect emotionally a little bit because you're just doing task, 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 and you sit down and you're like, task, task, task. Let's not let even our ritual and worship life be like that. Let's kind of slow down for a second again this year and say, no, Lord, I give thanks to you because you're here with us now and because you love me in the present. And I'm not just task, 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 but we're actually sitting down like on a date night and saying, wow, I actually, 
I want to receive the fact that you love me. And I want to love you back. And I want to thank you for your love with a certain calmness rather than just moving thing to thing. I invite you to consider that because not only do we have the knowledge of God's love proclaimed in Holy Scripture, he's actually left us tokens of his love. That's what the sacraments are when you boil it down. The reason he gave us baptism and Eucharist, mysterious symbols and sacraments of his body and blood, is that he could leave us this actual tangible, edible token of the purchase of the Father's love. This was the event, Calvary, when Christ purchased for us, when he opened the doors for the love of the Father to be applied not just to himself, but to us. And so in giving us these tokens, we have a chance to receive again. When we take that bread and the wine, Lord, I am thankful for your love. Thank you for loving me and giving me this gift of yourself afresh every time we come together. Thank you. All glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, all three of whom love us like crazy. Amen.